Tablet Rockman Ra did what? Brought him to life at night. When Larry Daly figures everything out, and he's trying to figure this out, especially in the second one, uh, Battle of the Smithsonian, people are threatening his life, and he tells them, you can stand there with those grimaces on your face, but when the sun comes up, he knows they're going to be frozen, right? Because they are fake. Here's why I bring this up. This has nothing to do with my message. Just like Pastor Keith last night said, this is free of charge. I want to encourage you with this because youth camp is something that we look forward to and we experience the Lord's presence with. And, and my concern for you would be this, that you treat youth camp like Achman Ra's tablet, that youth camp becomes the thing that makes you alive with God. And whenever you go home, you turn stiff, still, your mouth doesn't move in worship. You don't take any notes during the sermon. Y'all follow me? What, what, what does every teenager in the, in the Americas, what does every teenager in the United States of America hate? It's, I love open-ended questions like, oh, I can guess at something, Pastor Jeff, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Nobody wants fake, right? Everybody wants real. Give me something real. Give me something that's going to make sense to me right now that I can use today. But listen, while we're expecting the real and asking for the real, we've got to make sure that we are not the fake ones. Our topic tonight is self-control. That's not a fun topic. As Evan said, he's like, learn stuff from me. I'm like, how? I struggle. How do, how do I control Myself, how do I make sure that I'm loving God the way I need to love God? Here's where I want, I want to put this together for us. Listen very carefully. Self-control, when we leave here, and I love preaching the last night at youth camp because all y'all like delirious because you've been staying up late and you do all these crazy games. And so tonight, you're either going to fall asleep or you're going to be so delirious like, yeah, Jesus, whatever you got, I'm ready. Just give it to me because I'm so tired. I have no idea what to do. Now, this is where I want to bring this together. Self-control ensures us that when we go home, we're not going to turn stiff like wax figures. Believe that. Self-control is the way. I, I love the fact that Pastor Keith ended last night the way that he did because reading the Bible by yourself alone is the most glorious thing you can ever experience on this earth. The most glorious thing. It took me until I was 16, the beginning of my junior year, to start doing it. I prayed to receive Christ when I was 11 years old. Five years later, God finally awakened in me a desire to read his word. And my life has never been the same. Hadn't been easy. Hadn't been easy. Sometimes I lack self-control and I sinned. Hadn't been easy. But it's never been the same because the joy and the thrill that I've experienced is me and God with the Bible is the best thing that happens in my life. I'm married to a wonderful woman. I have six beautiful children, five daughters and a son. The son is the youngest, and I love having a big family. I absolutely love it. I love when we're sitting at our big, long table in our dining room, enjoying time together and laughing together. I love that. But do you know? It's every morning when I wake up, and I can't wait to 
to sit with my Bible, usually a cup of coffee, because I do need some help, help in being self-controlled. I need a little caffeine. Me sitting down. I look, I, I wake up in the morning, and my first thought is, I want to sit down with the Lord. I want to be with I want to be with him. Like this morning, I had a, a 6 o'clock meeting with a guy in church. Went to my office afterwards, and I, I purposed. When I woke up, I knew. I'm going to read my Bible when I get to my office. It's not going to be at home today. It's going to be in my office. And guess what? Spent time reading the word. And this is how it went. Because y'all want real. I'm going to give you real. I completely daydreamed through six chapters of the book of Numbers. Completely daydreamed. Until I had to, I, I, I think I read 12 chapters. No, I read 18 chapters total because I think in every chapter I had to go back and reread because I lost concentration and I was daydreaming about something I had to do. I was probably thinking about tonight and stuff. It's like, wait a minute. Stop. Redirect. So I had to go back and I had to reread the chapter. And you know what? That's been happening since I was 16 years old. But that's part of what self-control is. Sorry, I forgot to look at the time. All right. Don't worry, I won't be as long as Pastor Keith. I'll be longer. <laughs> no, hopefully not. I just don't have enough to say. Self-control ensures us that when we sit down with the Word of God, we see something come alive and experience something come alive in our hearts that makes the Christian life not fake. So we're going to come back to Achman Ra's tablet. We will come back to that. But as we start, I want to just focus us a little bit on what control is. Self-control, just the basic definition of self-control is restraining yourself. Not like with restraints, like tie me down, hold me back, I'm, I'm going to let loose. No, it's not like that. It's not somebody else holding you down. It's you exercising self-control. I don't know if your parents were like this. I think we tried this once with our kids, uh, that they practice sitting still. Did your parents ever do that with you? Do you despise that? Sorry right if you do. But you'll, when you're a parent, you're going to think about it like, maybe I should do that. Maybe we should have practice of sitting still. But I know parents who've done that and it was very successful. We just weren't consistent enough with it and figured out a different way to do it. <laughs> so when, but you have self-control practice. Sit here, don't move for five minutes. And that five minutes feels like five hours. Can I just do something? Can I, can I fiddle with something? And then can I, can I just play a game? Can I look, can I draw a picture, something? Can I read a book? No, just sit there. That's self-control. Restraining ourselves, restraining our behavior, restraining our actions, restraining our words, restraining in order to promote something else about our lives. Because listen, discipline that we give ourselves without a proper goal is awful. And that's usually how we approach God. Well, I got to pray and I got to read my Bible. I have no idea where to start. So I'm just going to restrain myself and try to do that. But if I don't have a goal in mind, guess what? It fizzles out, fades away, and then we don't want to do it anymore. If we don't have a proper motivation of what we're doing while we're doing it, we fizzle out. When I was a kid, I always fell asleep. When we went out to dinner, I fell asleep on the table. I pushed my, I didn't like in my food, or anything. I pushed my food away and I would put my head down like this and I'd fall asleep. Out. Remember one time my dad, my older brother and I were at a restaurant 
and I was, I was asleep on the table, and I was trying to sit up, and my head's like bobbing and stuff, and my dad tells my older brother, Jeff is going to fall asleep on the way home, and he named a street before we reach this street, and I said, no, I won't, and he said, oh, yeah? I said, yeah. He said, I'll give you $10. I was like nine years old at the time. I will give you $10 if you stay awake all the way home. Do you know what? I had all the motivation I needed to stay awake because I wanted 10 bucks and I stayed awake. Boy, it was miserable. It's like, and my brother's turning around watching me the whole time. I made it. I got 10 bucks. In fifth grade, I almost failed fifth grade because I just, I didn't know how to study, didn't care about studying. Just school. And I hated it. Like recess or, or PE, love that. I could always throw the ball farther than anybody in my class. I'm like, let's play football. And then, but I, I almost failed. And so my dad, as an incentive to me, said, all right, Jeff, here's what we're going to do. Because he knew about the $10 thing a few years earlier. He said, if you make the B honor roll, I'll give you $50. If you make the A honor roll, I'll give you $100. All the motivation I need. You know what? I figured out how to memorize real fast. Start sixth grade, be on a roll first quarter, be on a roll second quarter, be on a roll third quarter, A on a roll fourth quarter. Whew. 250 bucks. Yes, indeed. By eighth grade, my dad said, because I, I never not made the honor roll after that. <laughs> it's like, this is my income now. It's my little hustle. I got to make good grades so I can get some money from pops. I... But at like end of eighth grade, my dad was like, oh, I can't afford this anymore because it was like 100 bucks every, every quarter because I was making the A honor roll. I had the motivation. I knew I wanted something, so my goal of disciplining myself in my particular way to memorize idiotic, not idiotic, seemingly idiotic science tables and formulas and math equations and English. I still don't get English. all the way into college. I'm in college in a poetry class. I'm thinking, all right, I've got to take another English show. I'll take a poetry class. I'm reading through. We're, we have an assignment. We read through a poem, and we're talking about it. And this, this like, lady, she didn't wash her hair ever, and so it kind of went out here, and it was flowing, and she just glided around the, the classroom, and she's talking about this, and she's asking the students what they got from the poem. And I'm sitting there literally looking like this. Did I read the right poem? Because I have no idea what you were talking about. I didn't get that at all. But everybody else got all this deep mystery and imagery and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> the poem. It was short. It's ten lines. That's what I that's what I saw about the poem. It talked about a cloud and a leaf. But look, I disciplined myself for the goal. Self-control is meaningless unless we understand the goal. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to stand about, talk a little bit about the goal of what it is that we're going after. Do you know what a silhouette is? I'm going to play a little game, see if you can figure out these silhouettes that we have up on the screen. The first one, please. Maestro, what's that? <laughs> My house. Cinderella's Castle, the next one. What's that? Stormtrooper from Star Wars, very good. What else? Hey, all right. 
My younger brother actually lives like two blocks away, presently right now, lives two blocks away from Abbey Road. And he says they all, all the, uh, my older brother's there visiting, matter of fact, uh, this made me think of this. They all get in the street, the tourists, usually American, get in the street and try to mimic this. Fun fact, weird fact, you see the guy second from the left? That's Paul McCartney. First guy's John Lennon, then Ringo Starr, then Paul McCartney, then George Harrison's last. If you look, Paul McCartney, if you see this in the, uh, the color photo, Paul McCartney doesn't have any shoes on, and he's out of step with the other three. Yes. And if you look, you know, he's careless. In imagery, meaning. Mm. Everybody else is walking very sternly. Very, he's just careless, walking around. There's a bug, a Volkswagen Beetle in the picture. On the license plate, it says 28 if. You know what that meant? These guys were drugging out completely. They were, in the, they were into Eastern mysticism, so not only are they tripping on acid, they think they're, they're talking to God while they're doing it. And they're, they're achieving this particular mental enlightenment in order to talk to God, tripping on acid. And they thought that Paul McCartney was going to die at the age of 28. You know who died around that age? John Lennon, the guy the first, guy first in line. All right, next one. That has nothing to do with anything. Very good. Candy cane? Cotton candy. It could be cotton candy, but cotton candy in the form of a brain? That'd be like, hello, I'm a cannibal. All right, next one. Monster. Very good. Who else? Yeah, if you go get that one easy. Next. Yes, and finally. Yeah, we, we figure out what y'all, uh, whether y'all like the zoo the best, whether you like Chronicles of Narnia the best, or whether you like Disney the best, depending on your interpretation of that. But it's a lion. And I finished with a lion particularly because I want to illustrate for us. Last night, Pastor Keith talked about having knowledge. The reason you knew all of those silhouettes is the reason you guessed them correctly is because you had prior knowledge of who they were and what they, what they stood for. You had prior knowledge that led to recognition, right? So where you knew this. All right, we got an illustration. I'm going to uh, uh, have a couple guys. We can help get this. I don't want to walk in front of the microphone like Stephen was doing last night because that's when you get that. Don't walk in front of the microphone. I will not walk in front of the speaker with the microphone. I can do this. Here's a little illustration. What am I supposed to be turning to the right? No, I think we'll be all right. All right, silhouette, right? You see me? You see me? You see me? I can't see you. All right, check this out. Let me make sure I'm right in the right place in my notes. Hold on. All right. 
Let's go, uh, next slide, please, Maestro. Uh, I forgot to go to 1 Peter 3. Is that first? Here we go. I hope you all can see this if I didn't mess you up with this veil right here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Look, it's all right to be repetitive. It's all right to be repetitive. It's all right to be repetitive, especially when we don't understand things, especially when we don't understand things, especially when we don't understand things. Get it? Get it? Good. Especially when it's annoying. It's annoying. It's annoying. You all play that game where you mimic each other and you say, my brother did that to me. And I say, let's fight. All right, let's go. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. As Keith talked about last night, who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, look, divine power through them, you may become partakers. We've been talking about that. The experience of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort Make every effort, that's part of self-control, to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness. In our church, I say steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Next slide. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, self-control helps keep knowledge alive. It helps keep it going so we can participate in the divine nature. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know what gives us power? Taps into the divine power so we can live every day in self-control? Jesus' forgiveness. When you don't have passion for God, like last night we prayed for everybody to have a renewed passion for God's word, a renewed passion for who he is. You know that when we don't have that passion is because we've forgotten we've been forgiven. Something else is clouding our view, veiling us to see the glory of God. We don't see it well, so we lack self-control. We lack knowledge because we don't remember we're forgiven of all of our sins. All right, keep going. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's a huge promise. The Apostle Peter is giving such a security, saying if you practice these, remember that you're forgiven. Show it off in life. Not, from a way, not in a way to get forgiven. It's because you've been forgiven that you live this way. Now what? You will never fall. Wow. For, if, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Check this out. In the Old Testament, there was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. What was in the holy of holies? Come on, all you Exodus people. Ark of the Covenant. You know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Yes, Ten Commandments. What else? Aaron's, Aaron's, Aaron's staff that budded. What else? Who said that? Very good. Excellent. Excellent job. And it's three. God does everything in threes. What was I saying? Veil. Thank you. All right. In here is the Holy of Holies. Holy place. Holy of Holies. Who could enter this room? 
The high priest, how many times a year? One time a year. On what day? Day of Atonement. Very good. good. Y'all pay attention in children's church. It's awesome. And VBS. And maybe to Pastor Keith. Do you? Okay, good. One time a year. What's veiled is the glory of God. Do you know why this veil is here? Because if man by himself in his sinful self without the proper sacrifice of Jesus sees the glory of God, incinerated in a moment. Because nobody can see God's glory and live because of our sinfulness. Jesus comes on the scene and what does he do? He dies on the cross for our sin being the perfect sacrifice, our substitute. He, di- he lived our life. He died our death so we then could have his life. And what do we read about in the Bible? That the veil was torn, what? In two from top to bottom, as if God stood over it and ripped it over. It's like 18 inches thick. It's just a big old curtain that was, that was letting everybody know. It's not just this flimsy sheet that you got from Walmart that's separating you from God. The world wants to think that. Look, just God, just take it down. God says it's much more than that. The separation is much more because the sin in our lives separates us from God. So Jesus comes, rips that open, and imagine this. Imagine like, like a geyser, but sideways. The glory of God comes out and to be in his people. No longer is God's temple a place where people go to. It's a, it's a place that lives inside of his people. Now his temple goes everywhere over all the earth. So when he says in a couple times in the Old Testament that God says uh, that his glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, it's because in his people who have his Holy Spirit, his temple is going out. Our quest is to be able to be that temple in a way that people see accurately who Jesus is. Now, you know who I am. Pretend that I just came about. What can you recognize of me? What if it's just really matted down with a lot of product? (sighs) Thanks, Beth. Yeah? Probably, hopefully I look like a man. That would not be good in our... That's right. All right, yeah. All right, who am I now? Uh, Yeah, very good. (laughs) Had to throw that one in there. All right, look. I don't have a chair. You don't see who I am, but imagine this is, uh, I want you to follow this, because imagine that I've been placed, when I prayed to receive Christ at 11 years old, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me, but, but in a way there was still a veil And the veil is not in between me and God. The veil is in between me and other people. My responsibility as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to live in such a way that when people look at my life, they don't see a form of a man. They see Jesus himself. Right? You follow? The veil that's in front of us is removed through self-control. This is how it plays out. You see me as... Just a body. But let's say that my speech changes. Let's say that my, my actions change. I serve. 
I don't look to be served, but I serve like Jesus. And I, I say things in a way that makes people thirsty for Jesus. There's no, there's no unwholesome talk coming out of my mouth like Paul tells the Ephesians. There's ways of going about, and I'm disciplined to say, I want to make sure Jesus shines through. When that happens, this veil becomes thinner and thinner and thinner until it's finally removed. And what, what people should see of us is a correct representation of the love of God in Jesus himself. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll turn these lights off so they're not buzzing anymore, if I can remember how to do it. All right, and we all with unveiled face, this is for the believer. This is the one that now is in a relationship with Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. Now I I can see Jesus well. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. We're being transformed into Jesus. From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the beginning of chapter 4 right here in 2 Corinthians Uh, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Renouncing is part of self-control. It's discernment to recognize what's the truth and what's a lie. I want to go with the truth and I I want to renounce the lie. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So look, we have access. We can see Jesus, but it's veiled to people who don't have Jesus. We then become, as we're transformed into Jesus' image, from one degree of glory to the next, we become God's lighthouse. We become his lighthouse in an ocean of culture that is throwing people back and forth, back and forth, and they don't know how to escape it. Think of people in your school. Think of people in your neighborhood. People that you interact with. Do they know you're that lighthouse? Do they know you're not, you're not just weird because you're homeschooled possibly? Because that usually comes with the territory. They don't just know that. They know that there's something different about the way that you speak the way that you conduct yourself. You don't laugh at the same jokes when you're with everybody. You don't, you don't get into the same gossip like everybody else does. Look, they are veiled to God still. Now with, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. Oh, we could stop here and do a whole sermon just on how we promote ourselves. Rather, we keep a veil up by promoting ourselves through our own selfish ambition, through our own desire for success and the recognition that comes with the success and the achievement. We, we want that recognition because it, it builds us up. It puffs us up, but it, it clouds Jesus. But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, geyser of the Holy Spirit into our hearts, has shown into our, 
shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you know how we maintain self-control? We look at Jesus over and over and over and over again. And we help one another. We point one another to Jesus to be able to say it's not about how we're living. It's about how Jesus is living. So I'm not telling you where my points are because I lost place. Earlier we were, we were singing about, this struck me, we were singing about the victory. Do we really know what that victory is? It's this victory. It's a victory that Jesus has won over Satan himself, that he continued to blind us, but then he removed those blinders so we could see his glory in unveiled glory and not be incinerated because our trust is in Jesus, not in our own works. We're accepted in that, within the veil, so to speak. We're accepted within the veil because of what Jesus has done for us, not because we've done a good job. We need to live in a way to unveil Jesus to others, to remove the veil from their eyes. Not physically pull it down, but live in such a way that Jesus shines through, not just in a form, but in personhood, in character, in love, in passion, you know, when the disciples saw Jesus, they, they said of him, zeal for God's house consumed him. Jesus had a vision of where he was going. He had a vision of what was happening on the earth. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, which says, the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy that, Jesus, that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. There was a joy to be gained through suffering. Through suffering in our place, there was a joy to be gained. A lot of times we don't know what the joy is. Let's talk about the joy. The joy is treasuring Christ in everything. Treasuring Christ, our only, our only assurance to be self-controlled is to treasure Jesus himself. I don't know how to say it in a way to be more persuasive or influential. But loving Jesus is the most thrilling thing you can ever experience in this life. And you know what? All of the thrill that we experience in this life with Jesus is just a minuscule aspect of all the thrill that we'll have with him in heaven. Right now, we are building up our capacity to be thrilled with him in heaven. The, thrilled, the more thrilled we are now with Jesus just builds our capacity to be thrilled with them even more in heaven. Think about the fact that we will spend all eternity. That's back in, in our, our passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says there's an, your entrance into eternity. That's what we have going on. That's what's at, at stake. But we have an eternity of continuing to learn about God, continuing to experience his glory in ways that will blow our minds, but we'll be eternal creatures, so we really won't have blown minds. We'll actually be able to understand, oh, that's how that works. No tests anymore, praise God, hallelujah. No tests, no papers, but there's a joy. There's a joy that when our knowledge doesn't stop in heaven, we keep on going with it. We won't have to be self-controlled anymore because there won't be any more sin to deal with. Won't be any sin distracting us and making us hampered and, and just frustrated and like, man, I just every time I try to walk, I fall down. So what's the use? That's real. Let's remember we're forgiven. 
forgiven of our sins. And that provides the spark to be able to say, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to treasure you. We spend too much time treasuring things that the world says and the culture says are important and valuable. We treasure those things in ways that distract us from understanding the treasure of Christ. And you probably see people who have been believers a long time and they're unhappy. And then you look at that like, um, I'm really going to be a Christian that long and I'm going to look like that? That's not really appealing to me. Or you're around Christians who talk about how they, life about how when they weren't Christians and how a great time they had. That's, and sadly, parents do that. Sadly, parents are in modes where they just, it's, it's just, and look, as you age, uh, life just becomes a routine. And, you, and, and different ages, you just start fighting against the routine and how to, how to keep the flame going for passion for God. It looks different than when you're a teenager, right? When you're a teenager, just look like, what's fun? Is Jesus fun? All right, I'll do that. If he's not fun, I'm doing something that's fun. Because that's really what my life is about right now. No, he is fun. But a lot of times you don't have the right teachers telling you that because they're celebrating things that aren't godly. A man over there who was so great, who had so much fun, we used to do this, we used to do that. And you're thinking, and now your life doesn't look fun, Mom and Dad. So if I'm going to have fun, I need to experiment with what you experimented with. You turned out all right, so why can't I turn all right? And then we use these really ridiculous phrases that at one time I said, Mom, let me make my own mistakes. That's foolish. And I found out real fast how foolish that was. I found out real fast. <laughs> real fast, real fast. Look. Uh, oh. I don't, think, of, think of what you have pleasure in right now in life. Just whatever comes to mind. What, what pleases you that you like, uh, an activity you like doing, a person you like being around, it, that pleases you, right? We have a pleasure center in our brains that whenever, whenever we experience something thrilling, dopamine is, is released in our brains. Two, two chemicals, dopamine and serotonin, are released in our brains for different capacities. Serotonin, when we serve somebody, serotonin is released, and we get a thrill from it. And the next time we serve somebody, we get a thrill from it. But dopamine is something that when we just sit there and we're glad, dopamine is released. That's why when people take drugs, they are mimicking the dopamine and the serotonin that our brains are releasing. And it's artificial. It's actually training their brains to never release dopamine and never release serotonin. So they need to go after more drugs. And they, those drugs don't stimulate the brain like they used to. So what do we need to do? We need to go to harder drugs. We need to go to more drugs. And it all comes down to the fact that you can serve someone and experience a joy that your brain says, that was good. And you sit with your Bible and you learn this and you're controlled enough to sit down and read your Bible till you meet with God. Pay attention enough to where, you know what happens to me in the mornings? I'm a dope addict. That's what happens. Because I read my Bible in the morning with my cup of coffee and dopamine is released in my brain over and over and over again. But it's not an artificial dopamine. It's not an artificial pleasure and joy. It's the real thing. It's God. But when we are controlled enough to do that, that's when it grows. And it keeps on growing because the more I go back to God, the more he's able to fill me and, 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 and experience his pleasure and the joy that he has in me being his child, his son, his disciple. 
they did this experiment years ago on rats. I don't know why rats' brains resemble and, and correlate to human brains so well, but they do. And scientists figured that out back in the 40s and 50s. And they did this thing where they, they had uh, an experiment where they put uh, a rat in a cage and they had cheese in that cage. And so they would eat the cheese. But then they hooked him up to an electrode that actually sent an electrode in his brain to release, I guess, rat dopamine. dopamine. I don't know what it, what it would be. They released something in his brain. So when he's eating the cheese, it's released. But when he, when he had this other stimulant that they were giving him, he was really pleased by that. And they actually put a button in his little cage that he could give it to him himself. Do you know? He would press that button 200 times a minute. That's really fast. <laughs> to the point, to the point that the rat didn't eat anymore. He didn't want the cheese. He wanted this thing. And do you know what? My kids hate me. They don't hate me. They're frustrated with me when their, their, their mom and I impose bans on stuff. See that thing with all the phones in it? I'm going to unashamedly say, at night, well, one, our kids' phones are to never, ever go in their rooms. If they're going to be on their phones, it's right in the den where everybody is. Because listen, if you, haven't figured out, if you haven't figured this out yet, you don't have to go looking for the world. It's going to come find you. And you got this little magic buzzing box that will find you in a second. There are algorithms of people way smarter than you and I combined. Algorithms that they put out that whenever you go to BuzzFeed, they figure out what you're looking at. And they send those logarithms to people who are paying them money to give you ads. They are figuring, they've already figured you out. So these stay in the den where everybody can see them. But at nine o'clock at night, it's off. Turn it off. And yeah, they've had the uncomfortable, they've had the uncomfortable thing of, of telling a friend who texted them at 10 o'clock at night, hey, I texted you, why didn't you text me back? Because my parents make me turn my phone off at nine o'clock. Do you know what? They really don't have friends that are like, huh, fool, we're going to make fun of you at school tomorrow. That hasn't happened. Because you know what those, those kids usually think? Well, I wish I had parents that paid attention to me like that. They just give me everything I want. And I'm still bored. Because I don't have the thing I really want. It's a relationship with them. So we, we that's, that's not wrong for Evan to do that. I was thrilled. I'm really glad when I was leading youth camps, we didn't have that distraction. That's beautiful. Because <laughs> I would have been really frustrated with that. But God's grace would have been on me. But I'm just glad that was not on me. But we have this pleasure system whenever we go to our phones. We have a pleasure system, like Pastor Keith said last night, about uh, putting up a picture, and if it doesn't get enough likes and enough time, you delete it. It's like, I'm, uh, I'm not going to put anything up there that doesn't have 100 likes. It's like, who said? But we play games, and we're so into the games that we're so distracted from everybody else. We're distracted from our parents. Look, you ever, you ever been playing a game and your parents told you to do something, you didn't hear them, and they're like, hey, I'm talking to you, you need to respond to me. Oh, I was playing my game, I didn't hear you. And they were puzzled that we can't hear God's voice. 
when it's harder to hear God's voice than our parents' voice. But just like you know, when you hear your parent talk in a room, maybe you can't see your parent yet, or maybe laugh, you know immediately, that's my dad, that's my mom. God wants us to pursue him in such a way that we hear his voice like that. That we, we sense his smile. We sense his joy over us. We, we enjoy his joy of us. And that's the pleasure, pleasure center that we just like, 200 times a minute, gotta get more. So our motivation is to get more of Jesus. We have to see Jesus in order to display Jesus because all of us have a mission and purpose that God wants us to be on. He has a mission and purpose for your life. Look, if I can, I just wish I had words to be able to express the thrill in my heart for you and the desire for you to love Jesus. He's worth it. He's worth it. He just, he's worth it. Treasure him. You know, Pastor Peter at Lakeview, when I was your age, this is what he would say. The Bible is true. Bank on it. And that helped me so much. That's all he had to say. But then as, as I began growing in what the word was, I began to realize the Bible really is true. It really is true. We've got to have a motivation. We've got to have an end goal. Our end goal is Jesus himself. And he's the most thrilling, passionate, awesome thing that we can, a person we could ever, ever experience. And that's when it comes. Here comes the hard part. Uh, this is, is this 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy? 1 Timothy 4, uh, 7 through 10. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Look, train yourself for godliness. That's self-control talk, right? For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. What's Paul saying? Timothy, what you're doing today isn't just for today. What you're doing today, it's for heaven. It's so one, you can experience the glory of heaven right now and then experience it to its fullest in heaven when you're there. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those, excuse me, who believe. We have to train ourselves. Think about the discipline that people take to go to go, and when you ever watch the Olympics and stuff like that, and they always talk about the training methods of all the uh, Olympians because they have devoted themselves to train, to train, to train. Why? They want a gold medal. And Paul says, look, that, that falls away. That's a perishable trophy. We have an imperishable treasure in Jesus himself. What's our next verse? Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. We missed it? I can't read it. Work out, this is an interesting passage, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who is at work in you to will and work for his good pleasure. Now Paul's telling the Philippian church, work out your salvation. You have responsibility to do this. And then he says, but God's the one that's really doing it. So how do we respond? We just don't sit back and say, well, God's going to do it. He just needs to, to overcome me zombie style, and then I'll just do whatever he wants me to do. But until he does that, I'm just going to do what I want to do. That doesn't last. We are too. We have a responsibility to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
understanding. It's God who's ultimately responsible for getting to us. So we are to be self-controlled, but here's great news. As we look at Jesus, it becomes easier to be self-controlled to get to Jesus. It's, it's hard go at, at, at the start next week. You're going you're gonna to be tempted to just have the thought of, oh, yeah, I need to read my Bible and do nothing with it. That may happen. But you have to take that reminder and say, no, Lord, Lord, as, as I take a step, I realize you're the one in me, empowering me to take that step, empowering me for all you want me to experience. All right, let's come back to our Achman Ra um, illustration. We don't want to be fake. We don't want to have a youth camp or some experience that makes us come alive with Jesus and, and, and express our Christianity. I also don't want to overlook the fact that you might not be a believer right now. That in your heart, you see everybody else experiencing something and you're hearing us talk about this and it's just kind of not making sense in your, own, in your own mind. I would say it to you like this. Every single one of us wants to get to God and we think that if we do enough good works for him, he'll accept us. But that's not the way he does it. He says nothing you can do is ever going to get to the point. You can't do enough good things in order to, to gain acceptance and righteousness before me. So he says, but here's what I'm going to do. Because I love you, I'm going to send my son to the earth. And he's going he's to live a perfect life, the life that every single human being should have lived. And he's going to die a brutal, horrific death. And that brutality is a demonstration of, of how God sees sin. It really is ugly, bad, brutal stuff. And he puts all of the sins of those who would say, Jesus, I need you. He puts all of those sins upon Jesus. And Jesus pays for them. He satisfies God's wrath. The eternal payment that God stored up because of our sins is wiped away because Jesus died for us. Now, everybody can agree with that, but it takes effect in our hearts when we say this. Jesus, I believe that there's nothing I can do to even compare what you did, or even much less surpass it. So I repent of my sins. And now I turn to you in full faith. Jesus, I need you. I trust that you're the one that died for me. And when we do that, God says, that's what I'm talking about. You trust me, then you're accepted. That's where faith becomes the thing that connects us to God. And look, we, get, we gotta be reminded of that every day because we get nearsighted, we forget we forget that we've been cleansed of our former sins. We forget that we've been forgiven, and we struggle, and we struggle. Remember forgiveness. We don't want to be fake. And it comes with fanning the flame of the gift of God that's been placed inside of us. Here's the, the final verse. Second Timothy 1. I'm starting to like pro-presenter, I've got to be honest. <laughs> I was thrilled before. All right. This is Paul again telling, telling uh, who he calls his son in the faith, Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and what was he say, Lois? Uh, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Look at how he connects this. 
So let's work backwards. We'll be talking about self-control, looking at Jesus. He's the end goal. He's the motivation for why we discipline ourselves, why we want to be controlled, and we want to experience his power. We don't want to experience, we want to experience his love and power, not fear in his spirit that he gave us when that geyser from the Holy of Holies rushed out into God's people. But let me point out that it came from Timothy's mom and grandmother. Please, please, please don't underestimate the power that you can experience and participate in the divine nature of God himself in the house he placed you in with parents that are believers. Because it's very tempting to look at all the things you can't do. It's very tempting to look at all the restraints that you feel are in your life because your parents are believers and they love Jesus and they don't let you have fun. Right? But that's not what God wants us to experience. There's a blessing that comes from learning the faith from your parents and your grandparents. There's blessing that flows into your life. Don't fight against it anymore. Because if you really want to experience the thrill that God is, you need to surrender to him. You need to submit to him. All right, let's, I'm going to transition into a time of prayer. Guys, can a couple guys come help me with this? Hunter, you want to come help with this? Take it that way. Thank you, sir. You got to lift up. Just walk, I'll get this one. Here's what I'd like for us, Ben, if you guys wouldn't mind coming up. Uh, I want us to have a time where we focus in on the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit together. Because the motivation that we get to love Jesus more and more really comes from us saying, Lord, I want to experience your spirit. And I want to, I want to sense your spirit in such a, such a way that makes my heart settled that I really, I, I feel that I can be carried by you. I think sometimes we've, we, we fall into the trap that we are, we're not out of control per se. We're just not supernaturally controlled. We end up walking out our, our Christian life in our own strength rather than depend on the strength of the Holy Spirit. And to be self-controlled, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. To be self-controlled in a way that looks at Jesus and wants him to be displayed in all of his glory and character and, and personhood and expressed and shown through in our lives, we've got to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And that's why we pray for one another. And just like Paul reminded Timothy the, that when, when the laying on of hands, there was a gift that God gave and there was a flame. Look, that gift was given to Timothy, and when he served in that gift, serotonin was released in his brain, and pleasure was experienced. We've got to stop. Let's recognize where we're pushing the button of other things that's not giving us the pleasure that sustains us and that lasts. But let's look at Jesus and say, I want to experience you. I want to experience you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time tonight that we are able to think about you, dwell on you. Lord, in a way that, that draws our hearts outward toward you, we want to 
We want to experience you. So Lord, we, we come to you needy people, but we come to you with hearts full of faith, knowing you want for us what is greater than anything we can imagine in this life. And Lord, we want to submit to that. We want to surrender to that. I pray you would continue to draw our hearts, Lord. I'm going to ask. Here's, I'm going to invite you up for prayer. And here's the, the specific prayer that we're going to pray. That the fire of God that you kind of have sensed spark in your heart would be sustained through the power of the Spirit as we go from here, as we live life and encounter just the regular routine of fallenness, fallen world, sinful families trying to love Jesus with all we are. So we're, we're asking, Lord, please, by your Spirit's breath upon me, fan into flame the passion that I want with you. So if that's, if that's, you're sensing that in your own heart, just come find a place to stand up here. We're gonna take our time and pray for everybody. We're gonna lay hands on, just like we did last night, lay our hands on everybody. Lord, fan the flame. Sustain the flame. You be the breath on that fire that continues to go, continues to, to liven it. Lord, we ask that this moment would be a tender moment in your spirit, a tender moment for you. I pray this would be a, a moment of repentance for us, that we would recognize where you have not been fully on the throne of authority in our lives. You've not, you've not been better, as we sang earlier. You've not been better than other things. We've put other things in front of you. Lord, we repent of that. And we ask now that, that in our hearts we would really sense your spirit your presence, your breath, your fire in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Invite our leaders to come up, please. Let's take time and pray together as we sing, as we just enter in. So uh, even uh, I encourage you to respond. Don't, don't just wait for somebody. Engage. Engage with the Lord. Ask for yourself, for the Spirit to fan into flame the passion that you want to have in Him. Thank you. must be more than this oh breath of God come breathe within there must be more than this spirit of God we wait on you So new we pray Fill us anew we pray Consuming fire Fan into flame A passion for 
Spirit of God, would you fall in this place? Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way with us. There must be more than this. Oh, breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait on you. Give us a
come like a rushing wind clothe us with power from on high now set the captives free leave us abandoned to your praise Lord let your glory fall Lord let your glory fall Lord let your glory 